Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Ever since the creation of the man and the woman, it has been the burden of God that that man and woman would be a reflection of God. They would be image bearers. They would express God visibly into this world. In a way, the man and the woman would give definition to God. God who is invisible, in a way, would be declared and made known through the physical man and the woman. Of course, we know from Genesis 3 that the man and the woman fell into transgression, and subsequently the image of God was lost in this earth. Instead of expressing something of God, they began to express fear and hiding and shame. Well, that's not the character of God. So we know that the man and the woman fell from the image of God. And henceforth, man is now only able to express his flesh and the issues of his ego and his self-centric, self-absorbed living. But here comes the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And he begins in his redemptive work, a restoration process to recover man back to the glory that was lost. And what is that glory? That man and woman would express God, that their life once again would shine for God and speak for God and emanate for God, that through a man and a woman who now walks with God in Jesus the Christ and by the Spirit, God would once again be declared and made known in this world. Now we ask this question, how does God then gain this man? And I want to propose to you three stages that God employs to gain this man for his expression in this earth. The first thing that God will do is he will initiate with this man. He will call this man and ask the man to consecrate unto God. God will enter into covenant with this man, and as a result, this man's identity will be dealt with. And in stage one, God then has gained his man. Then in stage two, as God now works with this man or this woman, is that he will intensify his dealings with this man. He will now train this man, and he will test this man, and he will bring this man to a place where this man can fully trust God. And as a result, this man will be grown now in the affairs of God, in the purposes of God, in the likeness and identity of God. He will be illuminated in the affairs of God. 
So stage one, man is called by God. In stage two, man is trained by God. And then there is stage three. Stage three is when God then ignites this man. And the man in the message becomes one in his ministry. And this man begins to have an influence in this earth. And this is where the man who was gained by God, grown by God, can now go with God. So stage one, man is called of God. Stage two, man is trained of God. Stage three, man is used of God to once again speak and declare and live and move and express God into this earth. This message takes you a little bit through just that process. And I want you to bear in mind that throughout the biblical narrative, whether it is Abraham or Moses or let's say Joshua or Gideon or Samuel the prophet or David the king, or maybe you are Peter the fisherman or you are Paul the apostle, every man that expresses God into this earth goes through this similar process. It's not entirely spelled out in the Bible as a three-step process, if you will, but you can see under the text, within the narrative, if, if you read a little bit between the lines, you'll see that God calls the man. God then trains the man and puts him through fire, and then God releases and ignites and empowers this man. You want to bear the image of God? Well, it's not just enough to be saved, to be regenerated. You'll see that salvation, or what I call regeneration, the new birth, is actually just the start of the process of recovery in your life. So I pray earnestly that this message would just give you a little bit of an outline, a little bit of a pattern that you can sort of predict, uh, anticipate, a little bit of a rhythm as to how God works with the man and the woman that he intends to bear his image into this earth. The first thing that God will have to do with this man is he will have to initiate with this man. God will be the one that initiates, woos, draws. In a way, God will shout out, Adam, where are you? God's the one who knocks, and he's the one really who seeks. Is everybody with me? When he can find a man, God will then begin a process where he intensifies intensification. He will intensify um, the process in this man. And you'll see what's going to happen there. And lastly, he will then ignite this man. 
He will send them. Here at the very bottom, I want to write a few other words. First, God wants to gain a man. And this is a process in and of itself. Then He will obviously grow this man. And then lastly, He will tell this man to go. And you can see this pattern basically in every biblical character that was used of God. Uh, Think of the man Abraham, or we would say Abram. God would initiate and reach out to this man. We would say God knocks, woos, calls, whatever. And you would also feel this. Have you felt like God is like on your case? God is like reading your mail, wooing you. And you feel this strange drawing to God. Who's ever felt that? Hello? That was God knocking. And that's when God gets your attention. And His agenda is to gain you in this stage. If we can call it a stage. If God has gained you, it's as though He will commence stage number two. If we can call it a stage. He will seek to intensify His work within this man. He will grow this man that He has gained. And lastly, when God decides that your growing is of His uh, nature and kind, and he, He thinks you're ready, then He'll set you ablaze and kick you out of the nest to go. And He does that with every man and woman. So in stage number one, if I can call it a stage, first of all, you will experience the call of God. Adam did it in the garden. When he was hiding from God, he had fallen from the image of God and was in a way so fearful and ashamed and guilty and wanted to live hidden from God. Then God comes walking in the cool of the day. Adam, where are you? Hey, my man. God knew where Adam was, but as he was calling, he was actually just knocking on the door. He was not kicking down the door. And that calling is the goodness of God. That calling is the mercy of God. That calling is the grace of God. And all the sons of Adam, listen carefully, was in Adam the day that God called Adam. So all mankind are called. Because all mankind would come from that man. God was reaching out to every man and woman and daughter of every race and tribe and language that would come from that man. Because according to the biblical revelation, we all come from that one man. So no doubt, God's going to call you. In every generation, He's wooing somebody. Many are called, but few answer. So now, here's the, in a way, the next step in the sequence of dominoes, is that God is knocking, but who will answer that call? And then furthermore... Who will consecrate himself to God? Paul says in Romans 1, you can't say God doesn't knock on my door. You can't say God has made no effort to reach me. All of us are under the calling of God. He's wooing all of us, regardless of your argument. I've never heard God. I've never seen God. I've never heard the gospel. Paul says, in a way, everyone is without an excuse. God's reaching out to you. There's an infinite amount of ways in which God is knocking at the door of your heart. 
But here's the issue. Who will say, yes, Lord? Who will say, okay, God, whatever you want from me? And you'll see in every man and woman that God wants to send and ignite, and God wants to shine His face through that man or that woman, that person will have to radically consecrate themselves to God. And there's your Bible story. When God reaches out to Abraham, Abraham had to say yes over and over and over again. And God took this man through a process of consecration. He will do that with every man and woman in the Bible, and He'll do that with you and I to this day. God's face cannot shine through you if you are iffy, iffy about God. You've got to make up your mind. Are you in or are you out? There is no fence riders in the economy of God. God's economy is light versus darkness. You're in or you're out. There is no experimentation in God. He works with consecrated people. And this is where most of us stop in our interaction with God. We hear Him call us. We hear His love. We, we feel pursuit of God. But we never fully say, Amen. And so as a result, the next few steps cannot occur. For many of us, and I've found it in my own life also, to the extent that you consecrate to that extent, the work of the Lord continues within you. If you cannot fully say yes and fully obey, if He says, Abram, leave your country. Yes, Lord. If you can't do that, you are not ready for the next stages in the development of God's image in you. That's why so many of us, we could maybe be in the Christian life, we could be in the church life, but we cannot be on fire for God or ablaze with God or go for God or speak for God. Why? Because we've not gone through this process. Why? Because it all stopped right here with my consecration. You can't love the world and God. You can't serve God and mammon. The whole gospel narrative is a dying to something, to a giving up of something, a foregoing... You, You've got to lose something. That's all called consecration. Most of us want to bargain with God. He's not in a bargaining mood. He has a purpose. He has an economy. He has a, God knows what He wants. He's never been lost or confused. The issue is my consecration. By consecration, it's a big biblical concept, but... When a priest, for instance, was consecrated, that meant, I am devoted to God. I am for His interest. I serve Him. And a priest had to do it, let's say, in the um, tabernacle. But so were the folk outside of the tabernacle, the common people. Let's say we were the nation. As a nation, I had to consecrate myself, even though I was a metalsmith or a hide maker or whatever my career was, I could still be excuse me, consecrated to God, that is, I don't go after the culture's idols. I stay a, a, a person for God. Consecrated. Animals were consecrated. This animal is not for milking. This animal is for the altar. The skin of this animal is not for my clothing. This animal is consecrated. It's devoted to God. And your whole biblical narrative is this tension. Will a man stay stuck in his own self? 
or will he die, leave mother, father, houses, land, whatever the cost would be, and turn and say, Rabbi, I'll follow you. Jesus made invitations to many, many folk. And they had all sorts of bargaining chips. But let me first do this, Lord. Ach, let me first go take care of that. Uh, God, maybe next year I'll go to, you know, discipleship training or uh, mean business. I'll, I'll, over there. And as long as you bargain with God and this puzzle piece don't fall in place, you will not bear the image of God. You won't live out authoritatively for the Lord. You won't bear the fruit of God you were destined to bear. This is a big issue, the issue of consecration. I think of a man, Christ. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. I have no other agenda. He would invite you and I say, seek first the kingdom. Take care of God. God will take care of you. And there's all these ultimatums ongoingly in the gospel narrative. And then you and I live in a generation where we want to script for God how this is going to look. But go ahead and script for God and just watch. You will never bear the image of God when you script the life. You've got to consecrate. And Christ lived such a consecrated life. They wanted Him to be a political ruler. They loved it when He beat the things in the temple and overthrew it all. They loved that radical, angry, justice-seeking Jesus. And then at the end of the day, He stayed true to the cross. He was consecrated, devoted. He even asked God at one time, is there another way we can do this, Lord? Is there a plan B we didn't discuss? He was in a way, just like you and I, a man, trying to bargain a little bit with God. But God, is there a misunderstanding Nevertheless, not my will. Fully devoted. Now, every man in the Bible, they took care of this consecration issue. And if you want to be going with your God and you want to pack a punch in this culture, however God packs the punch through you, this is an issue of utmost importance. A last analogy of consecration. There's many analogies I can use, but when a priest um, put the oil apart, that oil was sanctified and it was consecrated. The oil is only for anointing. It's not for cooking. It's not for perfume. Another image of consecration is when the priest took the, uh, let's say, the lamb, and he would cut that lamb apart, the priest then would carry all that meat in his arms. He would be full of the sacrifice. And the priest would actually become one with that sacrifice because that blood would be on him and his hands would be on it. And Where the priest goes, so goes the sacrifice. But he would cut all the pieces of the meat and then pick it up and, and put it all on the altar. What, what, what the picture there intonates is simply, he was so full of the meat, of the, the sacrifice, there was room for nothing else. He couldn't carry the meat and attend to money. That's consecration. Full of devotion to only the one thing. And you'll see the folk in the New Testament, they chose the one thing. 
the folk who played games with God, they, they all went shipwreck. You'll see in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church, let's say in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. You've lost your first love. You've lost your devotion to me. You've, you've put other things in your hands. Your consecration is haphazard. And so as a result, the Lord said, I will remove your candlestick, your lampstand. And in context, through the prophetic symbolism, that church in Ephesus was likened unto a lampstand. And so were the others. A lampstand. What is a lampstand? You put candles on it in the, in, the, in the temple. And what does it do? It shines, right? And so the Lord says, unless you repent and come back to your first love, I will remove the lampstand. That is, you lose the testimony of God. You lose the shining of God. So you do good works and you do great programs, but God is not really expressed. You find that narrative throughout the Bible. So if indeed you will consecrate to God, then you will get something back from God. Look at this little hamburger sandwich. God calls, right here in the middle, you consecrate. And if you dare say yes, lock, stock, and barrel, God will then enter into covenant with you. He'll enter into covenant with you. That's where God would say to you, Son, I am for you, not against you. Don't you ever doubt me. I will pay the price. I will procure the way. I will make a road in the desert and bring forth streams where it's, it's just destitute drought. This is where God takes the pressure on Him. God is the one who will carry you through. He's just looking for you to jump into His arms and let Him carry you across the line. So most of us, we don't want to do the God journey because we think it's up to me. I want to tell you the only thing that's up to you is your consecration. Haphazard consecration, you're not going to experience covenant keeping God with you. And God is aching to take care of you. But Lord, where will I eat? Consecrate, I will feed you. But Lord, where will I live? Don't worry, I got you. But Lord, what will I wear? Go look at the flowers, please, somebody. By worrying and all stressing, are you going to live out this God image? A covenant God would say, no, I just need your yes. I'll do this for you. I think of a girl in the New Testament by the name of Miriam. We know her in, he, uh, in English as Mary. God comes to Mary. Howdy. Mary full of grace. The Lord is with you. You are going to have a baby. She bargains a little bit with Gabriel. She's like, uh, really? How can I have a child? This doesn't make sense. She's just like the rest of us. We argue. We ration it all out, you know. The angel said, no, this is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will do this work. And Jesus, she explains, like, I don't know a man and all this stuff. No, 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 God. This, God's going to take care of this. Then she does this amazing thing. Mary says, then, okay, let it be done to me according to your word. She becomes pregnant. And God carries her through this process. God picks her up on her yes and causes a divine man to be born from her. 
Unbelievable. So stop stressing on how it will look. Stop stressing where you will go. The details are irrelevant to consecration. That is the issue. And on that consecration, God will seal this deal and lock you in with covenant. And you'll see then a most amazing thing happens next. When God calls you and you say yes, and then you experience the faithful covenant aspect of God, all of a sudden a magical byproduct will occur. And I am hard-pressed to see this in my generation. Something will happen to your identity. You will become secure, healed, renewed. Your name might even change from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. You may even change from Jacob to Israel. Identity change, complete identity overhaul, because a transaction with Almighty God just occurred. He called, you said yes. He backs it up with covenant, and all of a sudden, you rest, and you just watch your identity just, I don't need to compete. I don't need to climb a ladder. I don't need to stomp nobody down. I don't need to hurt. You become so secure. God can't use people that are still wondering, who am I? Like a chameleon. You were this group, then you're like them, and then you were this group, and you're like them. He wants His man, His woman, that's uniquely created by Him. But I want to tell you, answer the call, fully buy in to the purposes of God, and watch how His covenant will keep you. It will magically do something for your identity. I can't explain it. You just have to experience it. You will no longer have a victim mentality, a poverty mentality, an orphan. Where's God? Is He going to carry me through? Man, you'll be in the desert like licking Sahara dust. And you're like, oh yeah, God is good. A person with a sound identity, yeah. You are ready for step two. Because now He's going to intensify His work within you. And He's going to put you in some awkward situations. And God now knows, I can test this man, try this man, I can mature this man, I can grow this man. Because He's not going to curse me. He's not going to ask like, why? His identity is stable. So He knows that whatever happens to Him now is based on covenant. And even if I die, God will have purpose in that. So what's going to happen now is God's going to now begin to intensify His work in this man who He just gained. And He's going to train this man. He's going to take him to school. And you'll see this in every man and woman in the Bible. It's so predictable. Every man whom He calls and singles out, all of them will go to God's school. They'll probably go to the school of the desert, the school of loneliness, the school of brokenness, the school of being evicted and ostracized, and the school of mockery. And 
but they can go through that fire. Why? Because they're standing on an identity. Even though he slays me, yet will I trust him. They know somehow God has purpose in all of this. God will train these people. He'll send them mentors and prophets and pastors. And God will do everything He can. Because it's, it's up to Him. He's the covenant-keeping God. So whatever you need to express over there, He'll get the men and women in your life, the circumstances. The, whatever you need, a failure, a success, much, little, acceptance, rejection, He will hand craft and tailor make everything to train you and then he will test you and he will try you and have you write some exams and you'll fail but when you fail you're not gonna like it's not the end of your life why because you're standing on an identity that's secure I have failed so many times like okay God where did we miss it he's like oh so great you asked thank you Francois here we go and God and I can be in this training and testing and trial uh, tension, and I have never gotten mad at God. I've never been disillusioned with God. Why? My identity is stable on His covenant. And even if I die, there's something in me that knows I'll be resurrected. I can't explain that to you. So... I don't enjoy being tested or tried and going through trials. But God has to do a preparatory work in you. We call it the refining work, the maturing work, the growing work. God's already gained you. So you'll see all of the disciples for three years, they will be with the Lord. Moses would be for 40 years in a desert. David would be in caves for 10 years. Paul would be some three to... 17 odd years be trained of God. All the men and women of the past 2,000 years, they, they all were pulled aside by God into the deserts. And, and God just equips and trains. And they go to Jesus school, spirit school, broken school, hurting school. And they bleed out of the self-life and God infused the spirit life. Uh, the, the process of God is very unique for each man and woman, but it's, it's, it's rather predictable. And that's why you're here at Legacy. This is a little bit of a desert. God plucked you out, and, and He's done this before, maybe at this camp or that church or let's say this uh, retreat. They're all little training times. And then we call them mountaintops and God has to release you back to the valley. So you can crash and burn. So you realize, oh gosh, I was trying to do this in my flesh. Okay, God, let's go back to the drawing board. Where did I miss this? And people who crash and burn, they, even though the righteous man falls seven times, he, he picks himself up by the Spirit of God. It's like, okay, God, uh, I was an idiot. I, I get it. Okay, teach again. And all the while he's standing on a firm identity in the covenant of God. But there's a big thing that has to happen here before God can move you on to the next stage. And you will see this in the biblical narrative. Oh, it's not spelled out in as many words, but it's there. 
Whatever God does in this middle stage, this intensifying fire and burning and refining, it's so that you can get to that place where you trust God. This is the issue that has to be settled between you and God. Can you trust a God whose ways are different than culture's ways, parents' ways, my way? Can, can you trust a God who doesn't make sense? Can you trust a God who doesn't show up on time? Can you trust a God who brings the least likeliest of people into your life? Can you trust a God who takes rabbit trails? This is the issue with the man that God gained. This is the issue at stake. Can Abraham trust God for 25 years for the promise? So God will take however many decades He needs to to settle this issue. Will you be like the Israelites when God don't show up the way you expect Him to? Will you start complaining and griping and get all sorts of logical and rational and, and conclude God is no longer with you? It's, it's just, let's just go back to Egypt and die. So no wonder God does the absurd in your life. The unpredictable, the uncontrollable. Because before His image shines through you, He's got to gain trust in you. Again, on this issue of covenant. But God will, sorry to say, put all of us through hell. Can I trust Him? And you'll see, people who trust God has an illumination. They know God. Can they explain God? No. But they know God. They're illuminated. They've been through the school of hard knocks. They've been through the crucible. And God's light is on these people. You'll see all the men and women that's been used over the generations. They all brought forth, forth an aspect of God's character nobody of us had ever seen before an aspect of His nature, they themselves were illuminated. They became aware. They, they, they clued in. They were taught of God. And God's face actually shines now on these people. They're not with a mask anymore. <laughs> They're confident yet broken people. They're bold yet humble people. They're secure yet so fragile. Like Paul, they, 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 they speak with fear and trembling but they have light. They're illuminated. They know God, as the Daniel would say in the book of Daniel, they that know their God will be great and carry out great exploits. Because <laughs> you're on the next step, uh, the doorstep of, of the next stage, where God's going to like let you loose, and you're now going to work with Him and partner with Him. God can trust you, and you can trust God. Am I making sense? Yeah. It's awfully quiet in here. I can speak in a lot of languages if you need me to, if we're not communicating. Let me back up for just a minute. If God initiates His call in you and you say, Amen, lock, stock, and barrel, and you accept the covenant that God's going to keep you, 
and your identity is secure, and God has gained you. That's a word we came up with here at the school. God gains you. Then you are ready to be introduced, really, to the purposes of God. You're introduced to the purposes of God, because now you're going to school. You're going to training. Most of you, <laughs> I'm so guilty with this. I want God to explain everything to me, please. Then I'll say, yes. I want the illumination over here first. Then I'll see if it's worth my while. But a couple of things have to happen here first, and God's got to get you buy-in. And then he'll say, okay, let me introduce you to my purposes, and he'll take you to school. Now, a year goes by, two, seven weeks at Legacy, and you stay the course. I see so many folk come to Legacy with their hands full of expectation. I'm all in, God. A week goes by, they drop the sacrifice and put Netflix in. <laughs> I am for you, God. <laughs> Toss this boyfriend back in. I'm for you, God. And before you know it, they, they've lost what that intensified season should be. It's the intensification of you. Yes. Well, will you be one of those that come with such a big heart? <laughs> and then you begin to exchange and trade in at the marketplace. So God begins to teach us His purposes, and He begins to show you His ways through trial and error, and He teaches you, and He brings mentors and pastors and uh, speakers for God into your life. And God will do it. He'll talk through a donkey to you. But I, I just don't hear God. You're an idiot. That's your problem. You've not fully said yes to the Lord. So once you said yes, oh, man, even silence is the speaking of God. Even no answer is a full, complete answer. God, when will you? Silence. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. Now, if God has done this growing process and He cuts you and circumcises you and He prunes you, you are ready for the power of God. You are ready for partnership with God. You are ready to see the hand of God in your life. And so, something magical happens now. The man has a message. The man is a fully gained man. He's a man in covenant with God. He knows the purposes of God. He's illuminated as to the nature and character of God. He can trust God. So you have this man now that's ready to be used of God, which is what God was after all along, a man and a woman. But as I understand the Bible, just about every man will have a message. Every prophet will have a message. Every Moses will have a message. In the beginning, God spoke. God's a speaking God. In the beginning was the Word. So that man and woman obviously will be speakers for God. Loud speakers, soft speakers, witty, broken, it doesn't matter, but everybody's going to speak for God, whether you speak verbally or you speak by way of service or action or fruit, whatever. You speak for God. You declare God. So he's got his man. 
And the man has a message. But what happens if God has fully trained you? The man and the message are actually one. It's not like the man just says something but lives a hypocritical, make-pretend life. Can you all follow with me? So Paul would even say, you know, I was a man in fear and in trembling. But my message was Christ and Him crucified. And the man actually lived that crucified life. I have been crucified with Christ. Like Paul and his message of the cross, actually they were one. You could not take the man and the, the message and divorce them. Because it had become incarnated into the man through trial and error and through fire and suffering and all of the guck that we, we, we don't like in God. Hello, you have to go through it. You have to. All of us have to. None of us are spared this. But why is God taking you through the fire to burn His message into you? Some of you can't speak for God. You have nothing really in your heart to say for God. No theme, no topic, no nothing. You're just like a blank. Then, okay, back up. You're not ready. Rather than pay attention, oh God, what are you doing in this fire? I trust you. If you can't even trust God just yet, oh, we need to back up a little bit more. We're backsliding now. Okay, God. Where have I not said yes to you? Where do I still love my world, myself, my future, my imagination, my fantasy? Take care of this. You're ready for this. Go through the proper training, however long it takes. <laughs> you are ready with a man and the message. You're at work and you can't help but exude something of the mind of God. You're a construction worker, but you can't help exude something of the grace of God. You're a doctor, but you can't help but love. And wherever you are, something of God's message comes through you because you and the message are one. And this is then your ministry. It's really God's ministry through His avatar. You're the avatar He gained. And this is where you really begin to have influence and where you go and bear the image of Almighty God.